You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Thank you, worship team, for leading us well this morning in worship. And and every week we are so blessed with this church and so thankful for uh, those who serve the Lord in so many capacities in our kids' ministries and um, those who are welcoming and, and those who are serving in so many capacity, ushering and, and greeting and all of that. Thank you. The ushers are coming forward. They have Bibles for you. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, we'd love for you to have your Bibles open to Acts 24. Acts 24 is where we will be this morning. They also have kids' packs for kids to keep them a little occupied, but also an opportunity for them to write um, some things down as we talk about the sermon and trust that indeed even on your way home parents you will be able to talk about some of the things we talked about here this morning and 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 allow God to do a furthering work in your in, in uh, your life here this morning in your family's life and so Acts 24 um, raise your hand if you need one of those Bibles the ushers will be glad to give that to you and if you do not have a Bible of your own at home please take that and use that it is a gift from the Lord to you he wants uh, us to be people who are reading his word and, and being transformed by the Holy Spirit through the word of God. And we believe God's word is just not another book. It is the very word of God. So we uphold God's word here. And, um, and we'll be looking at that in a few moments. But this morning as we get into our message, I wonder, I want to start with a question. What might you say has been one of the greatest triumphs in your life? Maybe uh, for you, maybe you survived the terrible twos with your terrible two-year-old. Or, or maybe, you know, you got them potty trained, finally. Or, or maybe a little older and, 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 and you passed kindergarten. I know that was an accomplishment for me and, and my family. Maybe it was getting your driver's license after a number of failed attempts and you finally got your driver's license or you graduated from high school or from university or college or trade school or whatever it might be. And, and that was a great triumph. That was an accomplishment. Maybe you look back and you say your children turned out okay. You know, they didn't turn out a lot like you. So that's a really good accomplishment and a triumph. Or, or, or maybe you defied the odds and you got married. You know, I mean, that, I mean, my family probably for the first 10 years of my marriage were still in awe that I would actually get married. And, and I mean, and I know in those first early years, Charlotte was probably one of the most prayed for women in Western Canada in having to deal with me. You know, and, and, and so maybe that was a great triumph in your life, you know, getting married. Or, or maybe you faced a difficult, stressful, almost impossible challenge and you came through it and you still have most of your hair. Uh, some of you have lost it, right, Norm? Um, but that's okay, you know, and, and that's going to happen. But maybe, maybe your struggle, maybe your battle was with an addiction, something from your past. You were in a very tough, impossible spot, maybe in your mind, emotionally, mentally, physically, in a difficult and a struggling, perhaps, relationship. And you were able to see a triumph come through that. You've come out on the other side and you're still ticking. Maybe this morning, though, I also want to ask another question. What would... What would be one of the greatest tragedies in your life? If you were to look back over the years, and for some of you that's a long time, you were to look back and, and, and you see, see certain things that didn't go well, that didn't go as planned, didn't go as you had hoped and prayed for. 
And maybe even today there's some aspects of, of shame or regret and, and wish you could do over or you live with some of those if onlys, if onlys in life. How about in your life where you have seen though some good come from bad? Tragedy turn into triumph. Have you experienced that in your life? And I'm sure many of you have. It was just about 18, 19 months ago, in April of 2018, when all of Canada mourned and Humboldt, Saskatchewan area was in the news after the bus crash of what took place there on that highway as they were heading up to Nippon, Saskatchewan, leaving 16 dead on that bus, 13 injured. One of the injured is Ryan Strachniski, who was paralyzed from the chest down. He has been much in the news over the last number of months as he's been playing sledge hockey and as he is de deciding and determining that his handicaps won't cause him to, to miss out on life. This week, it was all over in the media, and perhaps you've even seen or you've heard, something remarkable took place as his family paid a, a lot of money and he and his father went to Thailand for some experimental and not yet accepted in Canada yet medical procedure on his spinal cord. And this week, something remarkable happened. Take a look on this video. This was a huge and an amazing accomplishment. He was actually able to start moving his legs this was unbelievable, and, 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 and they are hoping and trusting that there will be more mobility for him in the future. His desire is to walk again. And so you even see from here a tragedy, and now we're seeing some of these little triumphs come out of this. Or maybe a tragedy to triumph would be like this. This past week, on Wednesday, I, I ran into a 90-year-old lady who I've known ever since I was a child. I attended the same church as her and her family in Regina. I looked up to some of their children who were a little older than me. We attended the same church. Our families knew each other. And I ran into her at the Shoppers Drug Mart in Orchard Park Mall. Her husband, back in Saskatchewan, as they were newly married and had a young family, was actually working on a noose to end his life. He was an alcoholic. He found no reason to live, thought it would be better if he was dead than alive. And then someone shared the gospel with him. She informed me it was the man who, is at the same, who attended the same Bible college that our son is now at in Saskatchewan. And I found that rather interesting. This man shared the love of Jesus Christ with him. And this man was radically changed. Went from wanting to kill himself to now live for Jesus. And he was on fire for Jesus Christ. His family was changed. His marriage was changed. Everything about him was transformed. Talking to this lady on Wednesday, I could not believe the smile and the joy that she had on her face. Her life hasn't been easy. She's battled illness and sickness. Her husband died a good number of years ago already. She's been a widow. They went through some terrible teenage years with their children. More recently, two of their children have passed away far too early in life, both in their 50s. 
Tragically, her son, who was a man that I looked up to, was a pastor and a missionary in Egypt, and 13 years ago was killed in an accident in Egypt. And just in the last year and a little bit, their daughter, who was also in her 50s, recently passed away from cancer. But talking to her there in that drugstore, it was so clear. She was just beaming, even though her life has not been easy. And she would have said, and she would have clarified, she I'm not even, wouldn't even be putting words in her mouth because she just kept over and over emphasizing Jesus, Jesus, only Jesus. How her hope in the future and knowing that she will see her, her children and her husband once again and the power and the strength that she has now to maneuver through life as a widow. It's Jesus, only Jesus, his presence in her life. That she has clung to Jesus, not just in the blessed times. She hasn't worshipped Jesus just when it was easy, but also in the difficult tragedies of life. You know, for every one of us here this morning in this room, the greatest triumph in your life and the greatest tragedy in your life will boil down to one question and one question only. And it is this. What are you doing with Jesus? What have you done so far at this point in your life with Jesus? And beyond this point, what will you do about Jesus? Nothing, nothing else matters more than this in this life. For your life now, for your family, for your marriage, for your mental health, for your eternity. Last Sunday, we saw in Acts 24, the greatest triumph and that was the message, and it's available online, and so we're not going to recap an awful lot of that. We're going to recap some of it and, and just give you the context. And, and, and we saw here in Acts 24 how the Apostle Paul gave testimony to having his sins forgiven and a conscience clean. That is the greatest triumph that any of us could ever experience. The power of our sins forgiven and a clean conscience, as he declared, I have a clean conscience be before God and before man. And he took strives and pains to keep it that way throughout his life. And so here we have the Apostle Paul, who's recognizing and is so upfront that it's only because of Jesus that he can have this, because of the work of Jesus on the cross, his death and atoning sacrifice for sin. His burial and his resurrection has made it possible to have sins forgiven and a conscience cleansed. It's knowing that whatever has happened in our past, we can be forgiven and have a clear conscience before God and before man. It's knowing whatever we have done, God's grace is greater than. But there's something even greater and more powerful than anything we've ever done in our accomplishments, there's something greater than the worst of our sin. It is the grace and the power of God. The cross of Jesus Christ is what we celebrate. You see, Romans 5.20, it says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. The, the literal translation of that is that where sin abounds, grace hyper abounds. It's out of control grace that is available from God to us. And not only is it a saving faith that will get us to heaven, it is a persevering faith. To persevere through the trials and the challenges, the things that you're facing right now, the things that you came burdened in here this morning with, 
There's power, persevering power to not just be a stronger man or be a stronger woman. I, I got this. Because you don't have it. In your own power, in your own strength, it's going to get tapped out sooner or later. But there's an unlimited power source to help us and to guide us through our lives, no matter what it is that we face. His power is available to the lost soul to be saved here today. And His power is available to live the Christian life in power and victory, in overcoming sin on a daily basis. And so today we're going to look at the greatest tragedy. We looked last week at the greatest triumph. Today we have to talk about the difficult subject of the greatest tragedy. And the greatest tragedy that we can ever experience is the danger of rejecting or procrastinating when it comes to our relationship and our decision about Jesus Christ. Last week Paul was on trial in Caesarea. And he took the stand before Antonius Felix, the Roman governor there. And the Jewish leaders were just like breathing out murderous threats. They wanted him dead. They opposed Paul. And so they brought in their high-priced lawyer, Tertullius. And, and he gave his great speak and brought the accusations, false accusations as they were. They simply wanted Paul dead. He was a threat and they couldn't stand him. And we saw how Paul last week gave his defense. He said, I've done nothing wrong. I've, I have not violated any laws. I don't deserve imprisonment. And I certainly do not deserve death for anything that I've done. And when the trial comes to an end, Antonius Felix renders his verdict, right? No, he doesn't. He, he, he's like, let me think about this. Let's pick it up in verse 22 of Acts 24. Verse 22, it says, but Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, that's another name for Christians or Christianity, that's how it was first called, because of the exclusive claim that Christians then and today that we make followers of Jesus Christ, Christians, the statement that what we believe is that Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father. No one gets to heaven except through Jesus and that's why they called it the way, because they believed that Jesus was the way, the one and only way. And so Felix had a rather accurate knowledge of the law, of the way, put them off, saying, well, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down from Jerusalem, I'll decide your case then. And then he gave the orders to the centurion that, that Paul should be kept in custody. But having some liberty and, and, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. So instead of rendering a verdict, he procrastinates. He puts off making a decision about Paul. But we're going to see even more importantly and more dangerously, he puts off a decision about Jesus, about following Jesus. And so let's pick things up. Let's continue in verse 24. It says, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusella, who was Jewish. Now, just a little background on Felix and, Ju and, and, and Drusella, because it's important that you understand the context. And, and, and at times we're going to see ourselves in the story of God's word. Now, Felix, a little background on him. He was a Roman governor overseeing the province of Judea. And history pegs him as a very corrupt, immoral, angry tyrant whose allegiance was to himself. He looked out for his interests. He just kind of made sure that Nero over far away in Rome was being satisfied and everything else, just whatever it 
was all about him. Josephus, the early church writer or historian, writes that Felix had repeatedly been known to crucify leaders of various uprisings. And so the accusations that the Jewish leaders were making against Paul was that he was a leader of an uprising, that he was leading a riot. And so whenever he saw anyone as a threat, he would have them killed. He had no problem crucifying them. And so the charges were very serious against Paul. And so he had a lot of power, even though Paul had done nothing wrong. Drusella was his third wife. He kind of worked through a few women in his lifetime, and he wasn't even all that old at this age. She was the youngest daughter of King Agrippa I. She had been married before at the age of 16 as a teenager to a king in Syria. She was known, how, how, how would she be described today? She was known to be hot. She apparently was gorgeous, was just an object of beauty. And news even through Bible times, through Asia Minor, through, through these different regions in, 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 in the ancient Near East, it traveled that there is this hot queen somewhere in, in, in the region there in Syria. And so Felix, with the help of a magician, believe it or not, I mean, he needed a magician to help lure her away from her first husband, this king of a small little country in Syria, and he married her when she was just barely 20 years old. She'd been raised a Jew, but she had no active faith in God, and more than likely died without an active faith in God, let alone a relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 24, so a little history on Felix and Drusella. Verse 24 as it continues, after some time, Felix came with his wife Drusella who was Jewish, and, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I'll summon you. At the same time, he hoped that some money might be given by Paul so that, so, so he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So Felix refused to make a decision about Paul and left him in prison for two years. However, during this time, Felix and Drusella would have conversations, and we see on one occasion, it was a very direct conversation that Paul had with Felix and Drusella. Yet the story of these two is a tragic story. Not only did they put off making a decision about Paul, they put off, more importantly and eternally, they put off a decision about following Jesus. And listen to this. I encourage you to even write this down. A delayed decision is a no decision. A delayed decision is a no decision. Because we are not promised anything more than this day. You are not promised anything more than this next hour. None of us are. The very breath, the very next breath, the next beat of our heart is not a guarantee. And so this morning, I encourage you to write this down. To avoid the greatest tragedy of all, we must embrace three vital truths. Three vital truths to avoid the greatest tragedy. And Paul reasoned with them, and we see this here. Paul reasoned with them about righteousness, self-control, and judgment. 
These are the three things he, he, he reasoned with them about. And he confronted them about these important themes, these important truths. And we must all embrace these truths in order to see tragedy turn to triumph. These are essentially the three tenses, or three of the tenses of salvation. Righteousness, how we are saved, how we are justified before God. Self-control, which is our sanctification, how we overcome sin little by little in our lives, and, and, and increasingly so as we grow in our relationship with Christ. And then also judgment, a future reality that we all will face one day. Let's look at the first one here, the first one of righteousness. This is how we are saved, how we are justified. It's how we can be made right with God. It's how we in inherit eternal life. This is the only way. It's so funny. I have performed so many funerals over the years, far too many than I care to even at times try to count. From an infant baby to a 10-year-old boy who was playing with a shotgun with his friend and one accidentally shot the other to being at the graveside of my grandparents who lived to be 106 and 104 years old. Death is coming for each one of us. And at every funeral so far, whether a person has called themselves an atheist, agnostic, there is this belief that they are still around, that they are still with us, that they are alive yet today, though they are dead. And that part is true, but they are alive only in one of two places. In eternity with God or forever in eternity in hell. God's word declares this. It's found in the word of God. This isn't made up. This isn't in some other storybook. This is in God's word. And so this is an important word that we have here today. You can't miss this. It would be a tragedy of eternal proportion to miss these truths. So please hear this. No one can get into heaven on the basis of just trying to live a good life. Or at least a better life than some of the other people you know. You ever play that comparison? You know, kids do it all the time. And we as grown-ups do. We just probably do it more in our heads. And we think, well, at least I'm better than that person. I don't struggle like that. And so oftentimes we can say, hey, you know what? I, I just hope that in the end that, you know, there, the good that I've done will outweigh the bad. And somehow I'll get in good with the big guy. That's running dangerously close because God's word says that no amount of good works and squeaky clean living will qualify us for heaven. And yet the majority of people in Kelowna, in the Okanagan region, in Canada, around this world, will hold on to the hope that if they just live a good life, they're sincere about living a good life, being a good neighbor, helping those, giving some money to a charity. They're very sincere about that, but they're sincerely wrong. You see, God's word tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, that there is none righteous. And he even goes again, he says, no, not even one. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 reminds us that the wages and the penalty of even one sin committed against the holy God is separation from God. God is so holy, so pure, that he cannot be with sin. He cannot be in the same room, in the same room with sin. 
And no matter how hard we try, Isaiah chapter 64, I encourage you to look these verses, write them down and to look them up this week. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all our acts of righteousness, all the good that we try to do will not be enough. They will be like filthy rags, Isaiah says. They will all come up short, our good living, our clean life, good to others, good to ourselves. We vote all the time. We pay our taxes. We, well, most of them. We, 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 you know, more than other people. And we start all this, you know, I try to live a good, it doesn't, it's not going to cut it. You see, but God has a solution to our unrighteousness. It's a, it's an eternal, it is a everlasting, and it is all-encompassing solution to this dilemma. And it was in him sending his righteous one. Paul would have told this to Felix and Drusella. He would have talked to them about Jesus, how he was born in Bethlehem, conceived by the Virgin Mary, how, how Jesus was the son of God here on earth and today reigns, together, reigns in heaven with his heavenly father. He would have talked about how he came and lived a perfect life, how he had supernatural power over sin, over, or over death and disease and, and demons, and, and how he died a sacrificial death on the cross so that sin could be defeated. He would have talked to him about how our sinfulness is then covered by his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Paul would end up writing these words that he who knew no sin would become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. The cross, it was there on the cross where all of the sin, your sin, my sin, the sin of the world was placed on Jesus. And what was transferred to us is our sin is transferred to him. He transfers his righteousness so that when God looks at us, he looks at us as forgiven, as cleansed, as free, as forgiven. To all those who put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. And not only there did he die a physical death, he died a spiritual death. He bore the wrath of God, the wrath that our sins so deserve. And to all who turn to Jesus, putting our faith, our trust, our confidence in what he has done can be saved, can be forgiven. No amount of money to pay. No certain amounts of chance or prayers. It's a surrender of the heart. Our sinfulness is covered by his righteousness. You can't buy or you can't earn a salvation. You can only receive it as a free gift from God. In humility, in brokenness, in honesty, understanding you have sinned. And you receive the forgiveness of Christ. For Felix, for Gisela, for you, for me, for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus can be and will be saved. And the only way to receive this free gift requires that we admit that we are sinners, that we have sinned against the Holy God, and that we are willing to confess and repent, which means turn from our sins. We admit that we've missed the mark and that we're willing to forsake and turn from all sin. Turn from our sin, our lusts, our greeds, our addictions, our pursuits, our anger, our bitterness, our power, our money, our control, the things that we put our hope, our trust in, our affections. And we cry out, Jesus, only Jesus. Nothing else matters. And until a person is willing and gives up all attempts to save themselves, 
and willing to surrender themselves fully to God, you cannot and you are not saved. Look at this quote by Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher. He says, there must be a divorce between you and sin, or there can be no marriage between you and Christ. And see, and this goes greatly against the easy believism that has been taught in our churches over the last number of decades, especially here in North America. Pray a prayer. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Pray a prayer. Invite him into your life somehow. And, 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 and then you just go and you just live your life and you've got his power now to allow you to live the life that you want to live. It's not what salvation is. It's, it's a death. It is a death. It is a divorce between us and sin and saying, I'm done. I surrender to you, God. You see, a dead man has no rights. And as dead men, as we are crucified with Christ, we'll see in a few moments, we then are raised to new life and new power and given a new heart. Getting ahead of myself. Paul would have shared these truths about how Felix could be right with God. He would have shared his own story, how he was headed one way. He was very religious. Most religious guy probably in the whole region. But he wasn't a follower of Jesus Christ. He didn't know Jesus personally. And then he met Jesus and he did a 180. Everything changed for Paul. And it can change for us. Paul took, spoke and reasoned with him about a second thing. And that is the area of self-control. Overcoming sin and temptation. Paul would have told Felix and Drizella that there's a cost to following Jesus. You see, and they were poster children. I mean, what I described earlier, for they were poster children for immorality and greed and lacking self-control. Their practice, their lifestyle, their allegiance, it was all about themselves. And when we surrender control to Jesus Christ, it's no longer about ourselves, it's about Him. It's no longer I that lives, it's Christ that is now, that we live for. It's Him that's living in me, and we want to live in a way that's pleasing to Him. Their practice, their lifestyle, it, was, it would have to change. Paul told them that when, uh, would have told them that when a person surrenders to Christ, we abandon our sinful desires and we surrender to God. You might remember the story of Aaron Ralston. Some of you might know him by picture, but even more than that, his story. He was repelling, hiking in Utah back in, I believe it was 2003, when he had a mishap that caused him to fall and, a, and he, he fell a ways and then his arm became stuck between a can, the canyon walls and 800 pound rock. And as you can see in the picture, he was wedged in tight. Day one went by, day two went by. He didn't tell anyone where he was hiking that day. He was at least 17 miles from his vehicle. And he was in this narrow little canyon, very hard for search and rescue to find. After five days, he had get, was starting to give up hope about being rescued. He ran out of water and food. He, retched, he, he, he etched out his own epitaph and recorded a video message for his family. He was so desperate, he even began to drink his own urine. He ended up then, on that day five, making a decision. And that was to take his dull jackknife, that dull pocket knife, and cut himself free to amputate his arm. It took over an hour to do it. 
And he did it slowly and carefully. And even after the amputation took place, he had to repel 65 feet and then walk 17 miles. About, which they figured would be about a six hour trek for him to his vehicle. Part ways along the way, he was found by some hikers and was taken to the hospital. They figured he was definitely in a state of shock, having lost over 25% of his blood. He needed to take a bold and a decisive action there that day, otherwise he would have died. He knew it. it would have, he would have faced certain death. And so he made that difficult decision. And that difficult decision of cutting off his arm meant that he is alive and he's alive today. But this story is a reminder to us, dear ones, of the ruthless intention that Jesus urges us to deal with sin in our own lives. We have become so comfortable and so complacent when it comes to sin in our lives, in our families, in the body of Christ. But listen to the words of Jesus. I, I don't think these references are up on the screen, but in, in Mark chapter 9, verse 43, Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 43, Jesus says, and if your hand causes you, you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 29, um, Jesus continues, or, or Jesus also states there, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is far better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. One is talking about saving faith and the other is talking about fighting the fight of faith. Fighting our sin, making war against it in our lives, striving for, for personal holiness in our lives. And sadly, we're ignoring that. We're not paying attention to that in our lives and we're suffocating in sin, even as followers of Christ. And Jesus uses these strong words, graphic metaphors, when he's talking about dealing with sin. He's not talking about literally cutting off your hands or your feet or tearing out your eye. But what he's saying is get serious about it. Make war against the sin that's causing you to, 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 to have separation between you and God. And, and it warns of the costliness of refusing to deal with our sin. And see, this is, as I said, it's a great danger and a problem in the church. It's our half-hearted commitment. We become lazy thinking that we've prayed a prayer and that's, that's enough. We don't see sin as a big deal and we start that comparison game. At least I don't sin like that person. At least I'm not like that person in that church. But we need to focus on those areas of sinfulness and wrongdoing, the bitterness and the unforgiveness, the pride, the greed, the arrogance... We need to cut those out of our lives and fall at the foot, foot of the cross and surrender to Jesus Christ. John Owens, a pastor and author, wrote this. Do you kill sin? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. 
not allowing it to linger, not allowing it to take root. The power to overcome is found in Jesus Christ. Say, how do I do it? How do I just stop? Do I stop sending cold turkey and just quit it? And, and well, that could be part of it, yes. But our battle before even quitting something, it starts in the mind. That is where the battles are won and lost. If we fail to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, that's where it begins. We have to start there by taking that thought and, and, and understanding, see, what does God's word, what does Christ have to say about this thought, about this action? And it's refocusing our thinking and it starts in our mind. It starts with remembering the, the power of the cross. Galatians 2.20. This is a verse that, that I would challenge you. If you have John 3.16 memorized, start there. Second verse to memorize is this. Because the first one, John 3.16, is about salvation. This is how we walk and walk in daily victory. I have been crucified with Christ. If you are in Christ, you have been crucified. A dead man has no rights. You have surrendered yourself to Jesus Christ. You say it's no longer that I, I who live, but now it's Christ who lives in me. When we are dead, we can then be made alive and his Holy Spirit comes into us. Because the power that raised Jesus from the dead is available for us today. When we come to him and we surrender ourselves to him and we say I'm a dead man and he makes us alive it's no longer I who live but it's now Christ who lives in me and how do we feel that so Christ is now in me he gives me his power his Holy Spirit but how do I activate that power look at and now the life I now live in the flesh so the life I live Monday which is November 11th 2019 how are you gonna live that tomorrow and then Tuesday and Wednesday, how are you going to live the rest of this day? And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I have faith in the cross and what Jesus Christ has done, who loved me and gave himself for me. We have faith and confidence in the love of God. Faith we have in what he's done. And as we have a faith and an understanding of what Christ has done at the cross, love is able to flow through the pipeline of faith. Faith and love go hand in glove. And when we're struggling with sin, we turn it into a worship center, a worship service in our minds, in our lives. We remember what Christ has done. When the world, the flesh, the devil comes pounding after us, we turn it over to Jesus and say, I can't do this, I can't face it. But Jesus, you have the power. You overcome sin. You overcame temptation. You overcame the fleshly desires that, and how me, you have shown us the way that you can live and you give us that power that freedom but our battle starts in the mind amazing grace my chains are gone love to sing that song that is a great song that sings about god talks about god's amazing grace but that the chains have been broken when we have been crucified with christ the power of sin is broken and so when we battle and struggle with anger and lust and unforgiveness, when the world, the flesh, the devil comes pounding after us, we continue to remember that Christ is greater than. We lean into his power and his strength. And as Jesus' loves grow and more, grows more and more in our hearts, his power becomes greater and greater. And as we do this, as we exercise faith in the love of Christ, there will be victory. Little by little, that's where we have brothers and sisters. That's why we have Christian community. That's why we have group time. So we can pray for, stand with, make war on sin in our lives with one another. 
And then the third truth that we must embrace, the second one is self-control, the first one is righteousness, the third truth we must embrace is judgment. And the question is, will Jesus be my savior or will he be my judge? God's word says that we will all stand in before the judgment seat. Paul spoke to Felix and Drusella about the coming judgment that is to come and how God's word tells us in Romans 9.27 that all of us are destined to die once no matter how well you take care of your body, no matter how much you try to avoid toxins and bad odors and smells and bad foods and you know chemicals and that, you're going to die. You're going to die. No matter how much you exercise and how much you do this and that, you're going to die. Every one of us will, sooner or later. And the question is, when you die, who will Jesus be to you? Will he be your savior to welcome you home to heaven? And yes, we will be judged as believers for what we did, how we lived our lives here on this earth. But it is not going to be a judgment that will send us to hell. But it will be a judgment that we will face for rewards that we will experience in heaven. But will Jesus be your judge in regards to what God's word has to say in some very important scripture verses in Revelation and, and in 1 Thessalonians. You can look those up on the uh, look them up later on, but we will see that in Revelation 21 and 2 Thessalonians 1, these are sobering words for all those who reject Jesus Christ, will stand before him at the great white throne judgment and then will be tossed into a lake of fire for eternity where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. You say, well, that's not very loving. How could God do that? That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair. You see, there are people today who believe in uh, various things. Some believe in annihilation, that when you die, turn off the lights, show's over, you've hit the road, no more. It's done. You cease to exist. Others believe, and in churches today, sadly, there are those that believe that in the end we'll all be saved. God is a God of love after all. We'll all go to heaven. Like, if you want to go to heaven in the end, you may, yeah, you may have to, you know, pay, pay, some, some, pay your dues for a little while, but in the end you'll be saved. That's universalism, but God's word does not teach about annihilation, nor does, he teach, does God's word teach universalism. God's word does teach judgment for those who do not believe and follow Jesus Christ here in, in this life. You say, but that's not very loving. How could a loving God do it? You know what a loving God did? He sent his only son to this earth. That was the greatest act of love, to send him to a wicked, wicked people like you and me, to die on the cross for the worst of sinners, who even Paul said, of whom he was chief, he was the greatest of. That was love, having his son sacrificed so that you and I could have life. And that gift is offered to all, and it's offered to everyone listening here this morning. And to receive that offer, to make the choice here in this life to follow Jesus, means one day you will experience a new life in heaven, in a new heaven and a new earth, God's word describes, without sin, without disease, without disaster, without death. More amazing than we could ever imagine. That's a reality. And Jesus is the way to the greatest triumph. Our sins forgiven. Conscience clean. Way to heaven secured. As we continue to live and follow Christ. 
that will show the sincerity of that decision is how we live and follow Christ. How we make war on our sin shows the sincerity of that decision. But also the greatest tragedy by rejecting Christ. Finally, we see here this morning, Felix and Drusella, what was their response? Triumph or tragedy? What was their response to Jesus? And I wonder this morning, the same thing, what is your response to Jesus? Is your life marked one of triumph or is it one marked of tragedy up until now? That can change. It says in verse 22 that Felix had a rather accurate knowledge of the way. He knew the way, but he didn't know the person of the way. In verse 25, it says that Felix was alarmed when he heard this news. And some of you are even hearing this today and, and, and you're not sleeping today. You're awake because you're terrified because you're thinking he's talking about me. And it says that Felix was terrified. In other words, he was fearful. He was, he, 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 but yet he refused to submit his life to Jesus Christ. He didn't take what Paul said seriously. There's no remorse. There was no repentance. There was fear. And that is a great tragedy. He was being weighed on the scale of God's holiness. And he was found wanting. He was found needed, needing God's touch. But history tells us that neither of them believed or repented. And that they continued a rejection as he continued to meet with Paul. Why did he not do it? Why did not he not surrender his life to Christ? Perhaps it was fear. He didn't want to give up power and control. He didn't want to give up his life. Maybe it was his reputation. The Nero, the Jews, everyone would see him as weak if he became a Jesus freak. Maybe it would be his career. He would cost him his kingdom. Maybe it was his love of money, his love of power. But they stand in history, Felix and Guzella, as for all of time, even into eternity, as a reminder of missed opportunity. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, maybe I'll play the odds. You know what? I'm in good health. I take care of myself. I'm a cautious driver. I don't go out when I see people with ends on their vehicle. I stay away from them. I don't do any of those extreme sports. You know, I'll get serious with God later. I got some wild oats to sow. I've got some living to do. I want to make some, and then I'll get serious about God. In Hebrews chapter 3, the writer says, If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts like Israel did in their rebellion. The truths not acted on, folks, listen, the truths not acted on even here today will harden us. Our hearts become harder, a little harder, a little more callous builds up around it. And the truth is, every time we reject or hold off on making a decision, our hearts become harder and it becomes more difficult the next time for us to hear the words of God. Today is the only day you have control of. What will it be? Tomorrow is no guarantee. Delayed decision, what I say, is a no decision. Jesus, he's not a matter of convenience. It's a matter of consequence, and we have to pay attention. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day, believer, if you are here today, of surrender. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you can surrender your life to him today. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, but you've been becoming so comfortable with sin and complacent, your, mark is, your life has been marked more with drifting and disobedience rather than living for the Lord. You're living for earthly pleasures and earthly gain more than you are for kingdom gains and kingdom wins in your life. It's time to come back to Jesus. 
For you, it's, some of you, it's the first time to come to Jesus. You can pray where you are right now, and opening your heart up to God is the way we've talked about here this morning. Or after the service, there will be those available who'd love to talk and pray with you in the live stream theater as well as here. Whenever we come under the conviction while hearing the truth, we must take immediate action or suffer spiritual loss. What is God calling you to do today? Do not harden your hearts. Respond to him this morning. Let's pray together. And so, Lord, even this morning, I pray for each soul here, because each soul here is represented not just here on earth, and will one day have a tombstone or something on the internet to say that they were born, they lived, and they died. We will be alive forevermore in eternity. And that decision of what we make here on this earth while we have time is of eternal importance. And not only is it about escaping the fires of hell, it is about the glory of heaven. It's not even all about eternity, although eternity is going to be amazing. It's about having your life, your power, your forgiveness, your freedom, a new heart here today to strengthen and empower us so that we can finish strong no matter what comes our way. And so, Lord, for... The person who does not know you here today, would they surrender their lives to you? And for each one who does know you in a personal way, would we re-surrender our lives to you today? Would our lives not be marked with the greatest tragedy of not listening to your voice, dealing with repenting, coming clean about areas of sinfulness in our lives, getting the help that is needed, thinking, thinking we can muscle through it and we keep falling and failing. And each time we fall and fail, we find ourselves further away from you and from others? Would we stop running and run to the cross? Would we run to you, Jesus?